It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This Pine Tar for Breakfast is brought to you by McDonald's. Open and ready to serve your favorites. Download their app today for some daily deals at participating McDonald's. Happy weekend, everybody. And starting now, on today, this Saturday, we are doing something with other podcasts that deal with the Phillies. And today, it's High Hopes, right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast. In the air to left field. Going back on it. It is gone! Kevin Franzen sends everybody home. Ball there. Coming down. down. What up? And welcome to the Saturday edition of Pine Tar for Breakfast. I'm your host, Kevin Franzen. One of the color analysts for your Philadelphia Phillies. And today is the start of, well... We're just going to take it around the Phillies podcast world. And we've been having tons of players, awesome players, former Phillies, alumni, current players. But why not talk about it with the fans? And some of these fans that we have are some of the most knowledgeable fans I've ever met. And today we're going to start it out with probably the best Phillies podcast in in all of, uh, yeah, all of the internet, or as Scott would say, the interwebs. That's right. Let's bring them on right now. Okay, and here they are, two of the finest individuals in the world, let alone just the Philadelphia area, WIP production, or producers, whatever you want to say on that one. These guys have the number one podcast for all Phillies, and that's right. That is well over me because I'm down in number 962, (laughs) and we're going to move our way up. Jack Fritz, James Seltzer. What's up, boys? What's up, Kev? I was watching. Kev, that that was way too kind an intro, yeah, right there. I way mean, too kind. all I mean, kinds of falsehoods you're, being spread there. But we appreciate you're it. You're at least nine hundred eighty second, maybe. So I dropped. Oh, you're even making more? it worse. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I dropped not even more. I mean, this Come is on, a joke. Jack, Here, here's what's bad, and this is what I found out today: is James. I thought you were like twenty five, twenty six. I find out oh, you're older buddy. than me. Wow, thirty eight, yeah. my friend. And again, to, to, to those that do not know who you guys are, uh, which is probably everyone that's listening to this one right here, um, James works for WIP. He does the, the afternoon show. Actually, the morning the midday to afternoon. Show. Midday. We'll go midday if you want You know the radio lingo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> inside baseball, the, be, the better one, Kevin, yeah, 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 is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. the way to – the best one. And, and Jack's got drive time. I mean, he's just like – he's so big league on this whole thing. And uh, Jack is the one that used to bring a lot of the, the Phillies sounds, sounds of the game to you. Now they're – five minutes longs of sound of the game instead of 30 <laughs> seconds listen so. i i thought I, I thought i left a good uh you know people behind me but unfortunately the the torch was not passed correctly i guess you know that's what jack yeah. does he just throws people under the bus is his go-to <laughs> so i take it that was your job before no i had nothing to do with it uh-huh. i'm i'm 
I, you know, I mean, more or less, I'm the reason Jack has a job, you know, just to, you know, put yeah. it out there. J- J- James didn't have to work his way up through radio. He just came in and was the midday show guy. So oh, yeah, he was no, the guy. I like... had to work my way up and work every holiday and every weekend. And Jack just waltzes in and, and is, you know, afternoon guy in a year. No, well, all you have to do is smile. You just have to smile all the time and laugh at everyone's jokes, and Jack does that every time. <laughs> well, hey, look, here, here's the deal. I wanted to bring the High Hopes podcast and have a mix with Pine Tar for breakfast because I think it's, it, it's fun. Uh, a, I love talking to you guys in general about baseball. But for me, uh, being a California kid, being a kid that you know played for the Phillies, doesn't mean you understand everything about the Phillies and the passion and pride that you have – not only in your city, but the just the, the Phillies franchise, I think it's fun. Uh, you know, you, you wear your, your emotions on your sleeves when it comes to podcasts uh, or tweets, if you're in Jack's case. Uh, <laughs> and so, no, and, and, I, and, I th- and, and for me, being able to do this and doing CrossPod, I think would be fun just based on I want to learn more about the Philly fan. I want to learn about my buddies who live and die by this stuff. And, you know, for you guys uh, – when you guys started High Hopes, what was it about? We came to the right place for that, Kevin. Jack always <laughs> likes to say that High Hopes is for the diseased Phillies fan brought to you by diseased Phillies fan. So exactly. you literally could not be in a better place. Um, yeah, with High Hopes, we just wanted to, to – honestly, to Jack's point, and that's why he says it, is like we are like – way too intense about the Phillies. <laughs> like our love and obsession with the Phillies uh, consumes us. It's all we care about. And we wanted to make a podcast that spoke to those people. Cause we know those people are out there. Well, I, I think it's phenomenal because I, I think Jack more than anyone, we, we can't speak cause we're late thirties. You know, we're so old there, James. I know. Jack, we're, according to so Jack, young, we're, we're ancient. Just so. so washed, you know, like, it's, it, it's tough to see. Yeah, we just don't know the lingo and, and, and Jack's obsession with Twitter and Nick Pavetta. I mean, look, we're, we're what, four years away or three years away from his debut? I mean, this is a big day. It's happy debut day. It was uh, today in 2017, the legend of Nick Pavetta started. And uh, how did it go? I don't know. <laughs> but See, I- now that's a, great, that's a great answer right there because we have the one great thing baseball reference and we can go back to that debut i was Pavetta. literally pulling it up as we spoke i love you for that Kevin. And, and, going and right to the reference. canadian makes his debut against the dodgers five innings nine hits five strikeouts one walk two earned runs and a loss look here's the deal uh that's a nick pavetta line Right, it falls right. Good, good thing. Except that, for the walks, like that. That's a great thing. I just yeah, pr- and, and only two earned runs. I mean, let's be real. Right? <laughs> Listen, I'm just glad that nothing's changed in four years. I'm just glad that we're all on the same page here with Nick Pavetta. Although I'm pretty sure in 2017 is also that Red Sox start, which was disgusting. So uh, it was it was a fun little debut for for Giancarlo Pavetta, as I call him. Yeah, it's cool. I didn't even remember it. But that's Kevin, how good like, it was. Like, like he, we're 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 almost fifteen. Well, we're fourteen years away from my debut, which was on April twenty eighth. Uh, did you celebrate that, Jack? 
Uh, no, great but... question, Jack. I, I did you sell? You're, you're actually friends with Kevin Franzen, and you're fake friends with Nick Pavetta. Yet you care more about Nick Pavetta's debut. It's kind of yep. messed up. Well, let's yep. not let's not say fake friends. We did meet, and uh, I would say <laughs> you hugged. I, I would arm say, around you. I would say that Nick Pavetta left that meeting thinking I could be friends with that guy. That was. I think Nick Pavetta left that meeting incredibly uncomfortable. No, that's I, all. I, I, <laughs> I think Pavetta walked away from that saying, you know what? I could grab a beer at that guy, and that's. All I try to bring to the table every day. Now, Kevin, I did not know that your debut was two days ago, but I just put in my calendar for next April 28th, Kevin Franzen's debut day. Yeah, and well, you, did you also know you went three for five? Scored three, three runs? How about that? Three How for about four. That? Listen. Three for four, you're right. Plate appearances five. You had a walk in there. Well, no, I got on. hit by pitch. I, 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 said pitch. I see it right I now. Realize I, I was a part of a major league record. Really? Three runs, by the no, way. No, I, uh, I had – what did I have? Four, four straight games to start my career with a hit-by-pitch. Oh, oh yeah, look at this. Well, three, no, four out of five it was, looks like. Oh, but you were a pin, you you didn't start the one game. So that makes sense. So, you're, yeah, your first four starts, you got hit-by-pitch in all of them. That's unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. Listen, yeah. So it's a Major esque of you. Yeah. Well, I got like over 100 in my – 150 in my career, if you count my minor leagues and – in the big leagues, so you know that's pretty special. That's a right? lot of hit by pitches. Like that's that... a lot of sucking in general. <laughs> okay, so, so real, real quick, real quick, while we're on the topic, like, what is it like to get hit by a ninety plus, you know, ninety five mile per hour fastball? Like the average Where? person, we see that Where? and we're like, I can't imagine it. And players, you know, you just take it and you run to first. Like, how bad does it hurt to take a legit? Hardcore fastball to the rib cage or whatever. Well, the question is where, like where you want rib cage. Ooh, now okay, so that's that's a that's a tricky one. If you go rib cage, yeah, the one those ones sting. Uh, th- those might, yeah, okay. So Aaron Seeley, he was down in <laughs> in the minor leagues. Uh, right as I made my debut, got sent down. You know, like I don't even know. A couple months later, I hit a, a first pitch. Opposite field, like one hopper over the fence for a ground rule double to start the game. Second at bat just dots me up with a 91, like right, like kidney area. And I'm going like, I've been hit so many times. That one hurts so bad. And I'm like going down the line going, oh, God, oh, it cracked a rib. That was only 91. I got smoked in the face later on that year. I went to to bunt a pitch, uh, lost in the shadows, smoked in the face. That one hurt. Pretty much all the other ones, not so much. Like, I, I, I got hit in the elbow with a curveball. Didn't hurt at all. It hit perfectly in, like, the spot for your bursa. Blew the whole thing up. That one didn't hurt, wow. but, like, three, four, or five days later when my elbow was, like, hanging, you know, like, just the actual ball of the, the bursa sack, yeah, that one didn't feel too good. But other than that, yeah, not. it's worse hitting a ball off your leg. Let's just say that. Yeah, because that's, like, a, you know, blunt force. Just right down into the leg. I, it seems more painful because that's like the shin bone. And no one's ever like walked away from a shin, getting hit in the shin, thinking, yeah, I'll be fine. Like you, Dude, always, you always think you're gonna, your leg needs to be taken off. Yeah, no. So I had one against Andrew Kashner, 13, in Philadelphia, humid oh, night. Man. That was back when Kashner was throwing like Bro, 98. 98. Yeah. It was 98. I fouled it just below my like left kneecap. <laughs> just below my left kneecap. And I remember at the moment like almost puking. Staying on there, I got a hit. I ended up getting a hit or I got walked or something happened like that where I was on base. And I'm going, okay, this is fine. This is fine. It's still like kind of kind of throbbing, not really. I go in at the end of the inning, sit down for a second, and it, all I just feel is just a boom, 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 
and I look at it and I and I bring up my my uh, pant leg and I'm going, oh yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I want to swear, <laughs> dude. I have pictures of that night, which is a like just a circle, and it is it is all bruised. It is a perfect circle, and you know what's going to happen from there. It's just going to expand, and this thing went my entire leg. I had it drained. I mean, it was it one of the most painful things I've ever been through because that night we had to fly somewhere and and that sucked and it just made it worse. So James to go with your thing, it it really isn't so much the getting hit by a pitch, it's it, all it's the where. Uh, hmm. it's where. Yeah, it's where. It just depends on. It could be just the it could be seriously 75 miles an hour. But like, the wrong you know, spot. It, it, it could be it could be Jack's fastball at 75 miles an hour, you know what I <laughs> mean? I mean, so, but, but you're not you're not factoring in the two seam run, and oh, I think brother. I think the two seam run would have caused at least like some kind of you know bruising. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, not when yours is like a change, more like knuckleball yeah, two seamer. Yeah. No, that's true. That's fair. That's, that's fair. Right. But see, that's what I'm saying. Like you 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 brought us on to talk about you know Philadelphia, Philadelphia sports, how much it meant, and all that. But that what the what you just shared with us shows that Kevin Franson, even though he's from San Jose and likes hockey too much, he's a he's a Philly guy. And you know, you never you never well, played here. You never you played here later wait, in your career. Wait, 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 I never he played here. What are you talking that you about? You never like you didn't grow up here. Wow. Uh, wow. So so here here's the here's we, the deal. We, you welcome us onto your no. pod. We do this crossover <laughs> thing, and, and Fritz just takes shots. No, wow. This is making me look bad for stumbling up my words. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm just we saying. I'm just saying yeah. that yeah. you know you 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 didn't play here till late in your career. You, maybe you didn't totally understand Philadelphia, and then boom, you got here. And I remember because I was watching the 2012 uh, Phillies video yearbook the other night, and I was like, "See, that's what makes Kevin Franz a Philly guy." Like, well, it, here's it, the deal. Hold this on, I'm what... just tweeting out in quotes, Jack Fritz. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the smartest. Oh, and I am. By the way, we can remember. We could. We could. That's how we could tweet this thing out with that quote. <laughs> Listen, so it wouldn't be breaking this. Here, here's the deal. Like for me, and I was, I was talking to here, here, name drop right here. Wait to pick it up, but oh, uh, please. Uh, so I was talking to Shane Victorino tonight uh, for the podcast as well. Oh, well, the probably the most clutch Philly from uh, 07 to eleven. I would say. Ooh, I like, I like it. Either we, we talked a lot. We talked a it's lot of Jason things. Word is the correct answer, but that's a good take. But one of the things I said was like, look, in 06, I came here as a rookie. Uh, Bonds hit one of the farthest, and he goes, dude, do you remember that homer that he hit? And I was like, uh, John Lieber, and he goes, dude. I was like, yes. But that series in my rookie year made me fall in love with Philadelphia, flat out. And I've told you that. It, it, it is never, never changed. And I just looked at this thing going, you know, I want to play here one day. And I'm, I'm playing for the Bay Area team. I'm playing for the Giants. I'm loving life, you know, it to an extent. But at that, I was like, this is the most insane thing. You had the, you know, the babe did it on beers and hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. And Bonds did it. And there's a giant syringe. But the, the absolute hatred. <laughs> but, the, but it was like the, the everyone together on it. You know what I mean? Like, it just, I was like, dude, I was blown away. So I was talking to Shane about that. And he goes, yes. He goes, it changes your mindset. And for me, I've always said, I don't. I want to be a Philly fan, like as far as the Philadelphia sports, but I don't think you could just say like, "Oh, I am a Philly fan." Like you got to earn it. You got to yeah. know some things. You can't. Yeah, just no, do that. we're we're very against the. You know, 
You can't just come in and hop on board. Nope. We don't like that. We're we're no. very provincial here. Yeah, and right. I and yeah. I agree with that. I love that. Yeah, and I mean, so it's it's your way of earning it. Yeah, it's almost like you from the West Coast appreciate real sports fans. Not that yep. not that West Coast. <laughs> not that no, West, no, no, just leave I, it at that. No, just no leave it at that. I agree with you. I Done. agree with you. But I think that's what makes Philadelphia so special. Like you know, and it takes a special kind of athlete, I think, to to lit, play here and thrive here. Like you're gonna get scrutinized. Like every single great Philly athlete has gotten scrutinized, but it's the one that that appreciates it and lets. And that's what that's what I was so impressed with with Bryce Harper last Ooh, year. Nice. Good I mean, segue. what a good that segue. What a pro. So, some would say I'm good at this. Um, but like with yeah. with <laughs> with Bryce Harper, <laughs> you're better in the background. It's all right. With Bryce, who would say that? Who? <laughs> Absolutely no one, actually. But but like with Bryce last year, you know, he has all this expectation, and from day one, like just got it, just got Philadelphia, and and like for it's it's important to have leeway and. And usually when you sign that big of a contract in a city like Philadelphia, the fans won't give you the leeway. That's just the way that it's been forever. They, they expect it from day one. And the way he handled it, the way like when he was getting booed and he said, you know, I would boo myself too. Like it, it just, it calms everyone down. And they're like, this guy's a real guy. So that's what made Bryce so fascinating his first year here. Because generally when someone with that kind of contract comes to the city and he has that slow little kind of star, like, I mean, his May, I think wasn't, wasn't the strongest, but he battled through it. And by the end, like there wasn't one Philly fan that didn't respect Bryce Harper by the end. And, I thought that was really, really impressive. Do you guys think that a lot of that with the Bryce was that not only was he, he was consistently the same as far as personality wise, uh, when he went through those struggles, he was just loving life with Philly. He, he, I'm not saying he played it right, but he just, he understood, he grasped what he was to this city. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, for sure. And he also he got us like I know it's it's kind of ineffable. It's hard to describe what that means. But he knew just what to say that we would would love. Like Jack said, that like it's the perfect example that I would boo me too. there have been so many athletes in this city who Donovan. haven't. Hand, yeah. Per, yes. In my head, when I'm saying that, I'm thinking of Donovan McNabb, like guys who couldn't handle the booze, who didn't who weren't able to respond to that. Like Bryce Harper was like, yeah. Yeah, I deserve the booze. Like, bring it. See, I, I thought that, that was the biggest one. One other thing, too. Yeah. One other thing, too, is is the way he played. Like, it's it's okay if you struggle, but if if we feel like you're just bringing it every second you're out there, you're running your ass off, you're you know giving it your all on the field, all that stuff. Like, that goes a really long way in Philadelphia. Oh, no doubt. And then, I mean, look, you you could ask like, not even ask. You could say that you know him having the fanatic shoes, that type stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, it mattered. The, the, the headband thing, you know, the headband thing was just thrown in his locker and he's like, dude, I'll wear it. Next thing you know, it like became a thing. It wasn't even meant to be, you know, like, hey, it was supposed to be just like a handout. Like, oh, here it is. And he wears it. And next thing you know, he goes off with it and you're going, oh, man, this is this is incredible. So, OK, if you take Bryce Harper, peel back the name, peel back the sport and you go Philadelphia, who would be the closest thing to that as far as coming in mid-career? And I'm not – you don't have to have a 35 and 114 year, you know, for it to be great. But who had the same presence, the same feelings that, that, that Bryce brought, or is he one of a kind? Well, I think – like, f example I think would be Doc. 
like Doc from obviously Doc's an all-time great um, and Hall of Famer and all that. But like Doc from day one, I think all Philadelphians both appreciated, you know, his greatness. Like usually greatness in Philadelphia doesn't come overnight. Like it, it takes a little while for you to kind of earn your greatness in a way. And Doc from day one, like just looked like a magician out there, looked like a machine. And I just think that he was he was such a hard worker and people people in this city just appreciated that once every five days he was going to go out there you could see him kind of laying out there giving all he had um and and doc from day one was just was just a machine so i i think doc's one of those guys that became a philly guy very quickly but it's weird because i also think that about cliff lee Mm. cliff lee came in in 09 and i remember you know i was freaking out because (laughs) i wanted roy halliday and i was like well cliff lee's fine but like and then he went and shoved yeah and then he turned in he turned into (laughs) cliff lee cliff lee's also coming off a cy young award i know it's not you know i know but it it was doc at that point i was so fixated on getting doc halliday that i was like ah cliff lee's is fine but but cliff lee i think in himself so quickly because he just looked loose and like he was having fun playing the game um but he's also dominating at the same time so doc and 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 cliff are kind of they both became instant philadelphia legends but in different kind of ways oh and and as a teammate too they were so different so opposite the way they prepped i mean both those guys prepped like no other but in different ways it was like the way they got you know ready to like look i had the opportunity and and being close with chase but knowing how Chase worked and, and how he went about things was second to none. And then you had Doc in there, and it was going like, dude, like this is – and I I mean, that that to me is something I never take for granted is being able to be around those two, one position player, one pitcher who had the same work ethic, who had the same idea of it's not about me, it's about us. How do I prep myself for us to be great and win? Yeah, that's special. I mean, that's and I think that that's why those two guys are so revered here. And especially like with Doc, I mean, Doc was only here like, what, four years? I mean, and it was three special years and then one kind of off year and that was it Um, for him to make that impression so quick. And granted, like Jack said, he came in as a legend. I mean, we knew the type of pitcher, the type of worker, the type of player he was, but he just immediately had that thing that we look for and and it was chase's whole career like from the moment chase came up in the grand slam and like from the jump like you saw it with chase Sally. he ran hard every single freaking time he went yeah. out of the batter's box he took the hit by pitches this that like he was just so philly it hurt that i i think that's really incredibly unique to have two guys on a team like that's the thing with philly is like mm-hmm. There's no other city, I feel like, at least in the – and I've paid attention to sports talk all over the country and this and that. Like, there's no other city where we will get on you every time you don't run out of ball. I mean, like, we all know. You know. You played in the league. Like, you're not going to run every ball out. Like, it's impossible for 162 games over the, the dog days of summer and this and that to run every single little one out. Like, you know that, like, one of them, you, you're just not going to run out. It's just <laughs> not possible. And, like – Utley and Halliday on the other side of things were like those type of guys where it was every single thing they did was max effort, full effort every time. And that is like, it's so Philly, it hurts. Yeah. And then you add in Jimmy. Okay. So let's take in the opposite, right? Where at at times he'd become aloof and, and he wouldn't run things out, but he was Jimmy. Right. Like the, the words he spoke and then he went out and did, I think I, cause here's the thing. Philadelphia is not a place where the the talk, other than sports talk, 
the, the talk takes over, you know, the actual action, right? Like there's there, they want to see it done on the field or yeah, we wherever win. the court. We want to win. win. First and foremost. So the, the, the time that he calls out the Mets and then he goes out and does it. Yep. And then not only on top of that, wins the MVP, you're going, damn, like that's, that was, that was so different. But from afar, we all knew it. Like I knew Jimmy before, you know, being a Bay Area guy. Didn't know him great, but knew him enough. And I'm going like, oh, my God, this guy turned everyone just by that, by just calling him out. Like, I don't know, not being here, but Jimmy Rollins was Jimmy Rollins before that. I get it. But he turned into, like, Jimmy Rollins. Like, that's J-Roll. Like, right there, the way he did it in talking and then going out and just absolutely destroying them. Yeah, I mean, I think he went from, you know, Jimmy Rollins, very good player, star, all-star caliber shortstop to that's the best shortstop in team history. I mean, like Larry Boa for the longest time was well-regarded as the best shortstop in team history. And then when J-Roll did that, like for, for as for as great as Chase Utley is, and Chase Utley's my favorite player, you know, on that team. But mm-hmm. what J-Roll did was J-Roll set the tone for the entire team. Like J-Roll... You know, whether whether it was a leadoff home run, I mean, he did that in what game four against Milwaukee. In all the clinching games in 2008, he led off the game with a with a, with a home run. Insane. Like that's just that's just stuff of legends. And like J. Roll, he kind of had the up and down relationship with the fans. Like it was, it never got to the like the end of Howard level. But him saying that that Philly fans the front were runners thing, the yeah, front runners thing. Like it was kind of up and down. But I think every Philly fan really appreciated Jimmy. And I think the one that really paid attention every single day they knew that that team needed j-roll's you know leadership attitude. yeah like they needed his attitude he gave to- them an attitude that they didn't have like he was the, yeah. the, the he was the face of that team and i agree with jack oh he was my favorite player i think he was a lot of people's favorite player because he was, of what we he talked was about major league baseball players like yeah, a lot of them favorite he players the, he was Philly like he was so us like we always dreamed if we were a baseball player we'd play like Chase Utley he's a baseball guys guys yes yes but but Jimmy was the the face he was the attitude he was the toughness he was the guy who went out and said you know we're gonna win the division we're gonna you know like he was the guy who gave us that that belief in and I think gave the guys on that team that belief that they could go out and do it who like so growing up like James obviously and Jack you you have what fourteen year difference yeah yeah I mean no no and and I say like that 12, because I think twelve years are right. okay twelve so, in between twelve and thirteen I think the reason why I bring that up is like in the Bay Area when you come up as a Giants fan or A's fan like it mattered that those twelve years mattered of who was your favorite player like it was Robbie Thompson Will Clark for me and then if you asked you know people. 10 years down the road, obviously it's going to be bonds. You know what I mean? Like that, that is what it spanned, like how it spanned for you guys. What was it? Who was it? Well, yeah, that's a great point. Cause for Jack, it's like those chase Utley, Jimmy yeah. Rollins teams. For me, it was Mike Schmidt. And I, I got the end of Schmidt's career. I didn't get to see like peak Schmidt, but I grew up with a father who was a diehard Phillies fan telling me Mike Schmidt's the best player I've ever seen. Mike Schmidt's the the guy. He's the Philly. Like, the best player we've ever had is this guy, and you get to see him play. I was at the game where they retired Schmidt's number. I was at the game where they, like, you know, I I got to see, like, so I didn't get to see, and I grew up with, like, Mel Allen and This Week in Baseball yeah. and all that type of stuff. So, like, I knew Schmidt. I knew how great oh. he was, but I didn't get to see those games played in the same way where I saw the best of Schmidt, but I saw 
enough of Schmidt and grew up with the legend of Mike Schmidt. So for me, it was always Mike Schmidt. Well, okay, so let me ask, we'll, I want Jax in just a minute, but for this, uh, was it fun being able, Not I'm not going to say living your dad's dream as on this, but like seeing it through his eyes finally, you know, like oh. all the talk and being able to actually put it into live action. Oh, it it was it was unbelievable. And it is funny because like you point out there, like for me, and it's a little different for Jack because, you know, granted, the first part of Jack's life as a Phillies fan wasn't great, but he was pretty relatively young when 07, 08, that run happened. Like for me as a Phillies fan, like I had 1993 and nothing else. Like we're talking about the worst team in baseball for many of my formative years. So, and I love that 93 team. Like Darren Dalton yeah. is oh. my dude, my guy. Like so I it, love Darren Dalton with all my heart. Uh, you know, God rest his soul. I love Darren Dalton. That was um, my but, favorite but, one. Uh, the best. Like yep. he's my favorite player from, from that I, that I grew up with, but the Schmidt legend was so strong. And I think because those teams were so bad, like, what we had was the legend of Mike Schmidt when I was a kid. It was like, we got that guy. That's the best third baseman who ever played this sport in the history of the game. All of them. That's the best one. So I think that for, for that like specific scenario, it made Schmidt larger than life to me. Um, but then 93 came along and I actually got to go to the world series and, and, and that team was so fun and so <laughs> unexpected but it was one time thing. Like that was it. I had no other glory as a kid. It was really kind of a, a, a crazy way to, to grow up rooting for such a, a despondent, disappointing team. Jack. Well, I think the obvious answer is Nick Pavetta. Um, <laughs> really the, but for me, uh, you know, obviously Utley was my favorite guy, you know, once it, once the runs start happening and just I remember the the grand slam um over Gabe Kapler's head which I think is always hilarious but um <laughs> most my, things were my guy my guy was Tommy um like Tommy was the first Philly where I was like I I loved being able to watch him every mm -hmm. single night uh cuz Tommy you know the Phillies were so dreadful like I would go to the, I would go to the vet um and I Barely. I remember the vet, but not really. And it was just like, yeah, this is boring. Like, Abreu was there, and Abreu was great. But, you know, Abreu didn't connect as well as, like, a, a Tommy kind of guy did. You know, Tommy. No, but he was so good. So good. I mean, so, so good. And good. I, I wish he was more appreciated here. It's unfortunate that it, he doesn't, doesn't get remembered the way that he should have. No, well, he you also, crazy, to what what's we were crazy talking is about before, that... he wasn't, like, a Philly guy in the same no. way. Like. He never felt. You never felt like Bobby Abreu was trying. Like, and he was also awesome. a is, great player. When you talk about Chase and, and the way he ran balls out, that was the one thing in 2010. Towards the end, we're talking like he was what 39 years old with the Angels. Yeah. That that Bobby Abreu busted his ass down the line like I've never seen. Like it was incredible. And but that's a part of it. It's there's there's a way guys run right. There's a smoothness. He had a smoothness. Chase wasn't smooth when he ran. He just ran hard. Right. Everything everything Abreu did was smooth. Like right? everything he did was smooth. The way he swung was smooth. Ran, played the outfield. Like all of it was smooth. And it, like it's kind of like Cano. Oh, I, I would say I, yeah, I agree. I agree. So Jim Tomey. Tomey, yes. No, so so Tomey came, and it was like. You know, I, we got this 40-homer, 50-homer guy from the Indians. Sure, he's a little bit older, but the Phillies shelled out all this money to bring him here. I remember uh, I remember, I was watching CSN, like, Sunrise, back when it was, like, Sunrise in the mornings. And uh, he's walking 
walking and greeting all the uh, the people who are building Citizens Bank Park. I thought that was so cool. Uh, and then just from day one, just day one, hit absolute tanks. I remember I was at the Phillies Baseball Academy. I used to go to, I used to participate in that. And uh, they would have us on video hitting, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever in, like, 2004. And um, I would just stick my foot up at the end like Tommy did. You know, um, so Tommy was a guy I loved to re- replicate and uh, just a, a truly, truly great Philly. And even though I like Ryan Howard coming up and being unbelievable was awesome. But uh, I, I I wish we had more of Jim Tommy. Ooh, just to think like he's a guy that you you thought lasted or was here for a long time. I know he became like a Philly right? legend. He's only here for what? Three years, three years, three years. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nuts to me because that that but that also is, I think the beauty of this place in Philadelphia um, is the fact that you don't have to have been here that long. It's what you do within that time, and it doesn't mean you have to hit fifty homers. Like I feel like I I'm not gonna say I am beloved here, but I feel like I am liked here because I played my ass off. Right. And they remember that more than they remember me making, like, 30 airs. You know what I mean? Like, that's the biggest thing. And and that, to me, like, saying that about Jim Tomey, like, for me, that dude is one of the best teammates. You talk about, like, the nicest human beings. Like, there's a, there's a truth behind that, but it's consistent everywhere. Every fan loves him for the same things, not anything different, and I think that is special. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to get right back to it. I'm going to ask James about Jim Tomey and the consistency – that he brought as a human and to the fan what it meant. We'll be taking your order in the drive-thru at this time because the safety of our communities and people is our top priority. So if you'd like an Egg McMuffin for breakfast or some fries right now, just because, we'll be here to take your order. Welcome back to Pine Tower for breakfast. I am your host, Kevin Franzen, at Kevin Franzen, and I am here with the High Hopes podcast with Jack Fritz and James Seltzer. Yes, they are the two names you hear all the time over at WIP. And we're just talking about Jim Tomei, the way he was, but consistently the viewpoint of Jim Tomei. So I ask you, James, what do you think? Yeah, and and you see it, honestly, that's something that's ubiquitous across Philadelphia sports. I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. It's a big word. Huge word. <laughs> Huge word. That big word. Yeah, you're talking congratulations. That's a, like that's the biggest word here. Yeah. yeah no, I get like... what it means. I'm just saying it is never used on here. Yeah, we're talking two baseball guys, James. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. But it is. It's something that, like, except like Terrell Owens is a perfect example of that. Like, Terrell Owens was one here and then submarine the next season. Mm-hmm. But because of what T.O. did in that one season, like, he is beloved here. Like, there are wow. a lot of people who love him more than McNabb who was the quarterback for a freaking decade and was like the best quarterback in the history of the franchise potentially. And there are a lot of people who choose T.O. over McNabb because T.O. came here, worked his butt off, and was awesome. Oh, and, and he played you know, on like, he played on a, a broken leg in the Super a Bowl. Broken leg in the Super Bowl, exactly. Like <laughs> we, and it's so true. Like we, it doesn't matter how long you're here; it matters what you do here. That is a, a great point, Kevin. Well, okay. So when you look at other sports, right, and and what this, um city has right when it comes to the Sixers to Flyers to Phillies Eagles all that stuff and it matters the Phillies not being able to play and I I I think that resonates it's not just baseball it's the Phillies what it says across the the chest and 
And I think when you look at it, Howie Roseman would was I think more than anyone is is wishing that the Phillies were playing right now. Oh, he could use it. He could use it, right? I mean, <laughs> but but that's the thing. Yes. Is, it's not yes. what it's different here that I've uh, that I really feel is number one. They love baseball, yes, but more than number one. One A has to be the name of the Philadelphia Phillies, and that's what people are passionate about, not just the game of baseball. And and I feel like the city's missing that. Yeah, well, I just think that it it, it happens in baseball cities like like New York. I think is similar to to, to Philly, Boston. Like obviously, football's probably king in Philadelphia. It's king in Philadelphia, which is fine. But like, I think baseball in people's gut is like what they truly love. Like football yeah. is nice. You can do it every Sunday and, and like everyone can watch football. But I do think that baseball is, is, is the, like, that's what Harry, that's why Harry Callis is so beloved here. Like, yeah. like, because he was the sound of summers and he helped people get, you know, you go down to the beach and people would just be listening to, to HK and whatnot. So like, yeah, I, I, I think for me, Knowing that every night at seven oh five, like it's seven thirteen right now, I should be watching a Phillies game. Like there, yeah. there's no doubt about it. It's warm. And I should be calling it. Yeah, you should be calling it. I don't we know should what, be. Yeah. I should be back home in the Bay Area right now. Right, and, and like having something to look forward to every night. And the thing that separates baseball, I think, from most sports is that you feel like you grow with these guys. Like that's why that's why oh eight and and that team is, I think, more like. The most beloved team in, in 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 the city is because we watched Chase Utley grow up, we watched Jimmy Rollins grow up, we watched Ryan Howard grow up because it was 162 for you know three seasons leading up to that and then turning into that. Cole Hamels, same kind of thing. Like th- that's what I th- that's what I miss the most is oh, is that. is 705 just knowing that there's a game to watch and yeah. people say it's a long season and I I get it. I mean it's a grind. I understand, but. But it's one of those things that just becomes routine, and like, you, I mean, HK said it all the time. Like, you never know what you're gonna see when you when you turn on a ball game or go to the ballpark, and uh, we're missing out on that. And I, I I need it back. It's it's <laughs> it's seven fourteen on a Thursday night. Like, l- let's play some baseball. You don't want to be doing the uh, pine tar for breakfast Listen, uh, I podcast. Love, I love doing the pine tar for breakfast uh, podcast. I'm just saying. If I could couple that with a Phillies game, it'd be perfect. Oh, I agree. I like that. How about for you, James? Like, your thoughts like on that? I mean, like Philadelphia, the Phillies matter, not just baseball, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. No, it, it it's dead on. I mean, look, the Phillies have existed since 1883. Right? They were the Quakers <laughs> for a few years there, but the Philadelphia Phillies in that term have been since 1890. I mean, that's a long time. That is a long time to build up a a history a you know like that it's something that matters and i i totally agree with jack like i think the eagles might be more um you know palpable to a larger group of people but the true diehard fans are phillies fans and it is people love baseball but people love the phillies like mm-hmm. they don't care like jack and i are watching the package and watching you know brewers and the the you know cardinals play on a random wednesday night like we're just weird but that's Most not weird. Filled up, yeah, I will tell me about it. It's my That's life. Not weird. I love it. I need it. I desperately am Absolutely. missing it. But but in Philadelphia, the vast majority of people just love the Phillies. They don't care about anything else. They just care about that team. But and she, that's why, like, like to Jack's point, like 07 through 11, there was nothing cooler in this city than going to a Phillies team. Like, it was the coolest thing you could do. Like, it wasn't just fun. It wasn't just night out. Like, yeah. it was the place to be. Oh, well, amazing. Let me, let me ask on that because I think – 
a lot of it. I, I was talking to Shane about this uh, today. Uh, they were a team that went out. They had a good time. They, you know, the city loved them, but they were they felt like they were a part of the city. Like this, this 2020 version, they don't do crap outside. Like it's not like they go to the, social media has kind of you know ruined a lot of that. Right. Um, do you think that like if if this team, I'm not saying they have to go out and party, and it's not about going, but like if they were out amongst the people a little bit more, you think they would be beloved? Or is it just the fact that they were winning and they had people that grew up as Phillies? Yeah, I, I think it has to do with more with the winning. Like that's that's the one thing that I always give Phillies fans credit for is that even though the last two seasons, like they started off hot and you know, in twenty eighteen they were in first place for a long time, uh, like the the fans never bought it. And like that's the one thing that I always say that I think I think Phillies fans. Know. But did they believe? Did they did they not buy the players? Did they not buy the manager? Was it a combination of both? Well, I think they were turned off by the manager and they didn't really give him a chance. And I don't know if it has anything to do with the players. I think the players became a byproduct of it. But the problem with with what I think happened the last two years was that you know Philadelphia went from zero analytics to a hundred analytics. Like it went from zero to hundred very fast. And like to drop that on a fan base that, you know, grew up watching old school kind of baseball, I think it's going to take a little while for it to adjust. And the, it, I just think that, you know, they, the Phillies fans and people that watch that team every night, they always felt like, eh, it's not going to last. Like, and I, that's what, that's what I think the biggest shame of this season not happening yet is I think that it was turning. Like I, I felt like with Joe Girardi, you know, the, 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 the fans in the city were going to give him more of a benefit of the doubt than they gave Gabe Kapler. And they were going to, they were going to give him leeway. And they were going to say, you know, even if they lose it a couple games in a row, it's not that big of a deal because Girardi's a guy that is going to hone him back in and get him ready to go. That's what I think the biggest loss of the season is. Cause I think the city would have been way more behind, behind that team. I don't think it had anything to do with the players. I think they love Bryce. I think they love JT real Mito. I just think that, you know, they didn't get the benefit of the doubt of who was leading them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, Joe Girardi was, I, I don't know. He was more Philadelphia than anything. And it doesn't mean he was, there was no acting involved. There was no script. He was just real. Yeah. That's the biggest, and James says this all the time. It's just, it's just being real. That's why Bryce, like from day one, even though he was this super mega star, he's been the face of baseball since he was 17, Bryce Harper felt real. He felt like a Philadelphian. That's what was so crazy about it. That's what's so crazy about Bryce Harper coming here and, you know, the preconceived notions of how he was down in, in Washington. All that went away when he became a Philly because he felt like a real person. And, and Girardi, you, you just said it, a real person from day one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, when it comes down to things, I've, I've told you this, Jack, off air, um, which is the one thing I knew as a, as a player, nothing can be scripted here. You can't sit there and think about what you're going to say uh, because the moment that you think about what you're going to say, people think that you're fake. And so, you know, as everyone grew up with Harry, uh, with, with Whitey, obviously now with Scott in L.A., um, on the radio side, like, you hear the realness, right? There's nothing scripted, like, LA is not sitting there going, I have to get this on the air today. Everything's so real. And I feel like when you, you go to a manager, like everything he says, you believe because it's not, I don't know. There's, there's no paper in front of him telling him, 
hit this point, hit this point, not this bullet point, but hit that bullet point. There's none of that. And like for you guys being Philly fans growing up your whole life, you feel that. Well, especially in comparison to what we just came from and no offense to Gabe Kapler. I mean, I think we like Gabe more than most, but if you were going to say anything about Gabe Kapler, it's that everything felt scripted. Everything felt planned. Everything felt prepackaged. You know, every single answer he had was so like formulaic and so just prepackaged. Whereas Girardi, it's, it's, you guys nailed it on that. Like he feels real. Like, I feel like I could go get a beer with Joe Girardi and talk baseball and it or a would glass just glass of wine. He likes his yeah, wine. Yeah, whatever. Whatever works. But the point is I feel like I'd be hanging out with a buddy. Like you didn't feel that with Gabe. And it's no no ripping on Gabe. No, like it's not. he just he just didn't fit here. Like and it's no offense. He just was not a Philly guy. And I I hate to like boil it down to something. I know like it's that, so it's so cliche, but that's just, I know it's the only way to explain it. So cliche, Trust me, I understand. It's dead on. It's dead on. It's just the truth. I understand it being a, a California boy as well, but I, I I don't know. Like for me, this city represents a realness, a blue collaredness that he may have possessed, but it is like again, the analytics stuff. Like he, if he didn't mention anything about analytics the first couple of months, people probably would have liked him. But the fact he came in and was touting that, I think that's where it rubbed people the wrong. You're not going to change the game on us. Like if it went no, like unsaid, it went unsaid on the whole thing, and they just ran it the way they did. Do you think it would have changed? Because I, I look at Joe Girardi. He's already said. He goes, look, I'm a. I'm a mix. I love the old school, but I'm a numbers guy. I love all the data. Well, it's so funny how he goes from Binder Joe in New York saying all he does is use numbers to real baseball guy in Philadelphia. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that that is, it's how it's perceived, right? If it's not shoved down your throat here, it is a beautiful thing. It is something that you're going to, you're going to give it a chance, but you're not going to tell a fan how to act. I'm not going to tell a fan, don't boo this guy. This guy's really playing hard. Like that's their opinion. Yeah, you can't tell people how to feel. Like, you just can't in any walk of life, but particularly in this city as a manager or a coach of a team. Like, you can't tell us how to feel. You can't, like, it's never going to work. It's never going to work if you try and tell us, hey, you know, this, it's not his fault. He's playing really hard. This, not, like, it's never going to fly with us. Like, you, again, it goes back to the being real thing. Like, just be real. And Girardi is is particularly good because not only is he real, but he's also a master of finding ways to deflect things or move around things without it feeling like he – like when he's been on with Angelo, like Angelo will ask him a question. He finds a way to sidestep it and still give Angelo something that feels like a real honest <laughs> answer to a question, but it's not the question Angelo asks. Oh, my you know, God. It's, it's oh. so impressive. It's so impressive. But that takes talent. That's a talent. Oh, absolutely. That, that, it's that a, talent. Is a talent. I agree. That is well, a talent. I mean, he was in New York for a decade. I agree. <laughs> totally. You figure out how to do it. But it, it, he's amazing at it. It is very impressive. Oh, I love I love that you said that. But, I mean, okay, so now that we're, we we have gotten uh, a little bit about you guys, James Seltzer and uh, uh, Jack, uh, 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 I'm going to go my, ch- I'm going my Charlie Manuel route. Uh, <laughs> uh, you gotta check, you gotta check your notes to is see it, who it was. It, is it Fitzy? Yeah, no, say. no, no. With an R Fritz. Yeah. 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 Fritz? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Uh, I, I, Jack brought this one up earlier, James, and, and he goes, where would the Phillies be right now? Not only just in, in San Francisco playing, but like, 
Where would you see them had the season been going uh, on? What a sad hypothetical. Oh, it's it, the worst. It, but it's the it truth. It's a, it's a, it's a, it just makes you think because of, of things that you might have seen or heard during spring training, what was it that, that, that you feel like they would be at? It's a great question. I, so I appreciate it. That's the, all Jack, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I came into the season expect like, and again, it's so funny because we always talking like they feel like a 90 win team or an 80, whatever. T- and like, that's meaningless now. Cause you know, hopefully we get a hundred games or 110 games Listen, or whatever, if, but if like they're a 90 win team in a hundred game season. That's they, what I'm saying. They're pretty epic. Something here. I came into the season, expect them to be like an 85, 86 win team, somewhere in that general range, a team that was going to likely compete for the second wild card spot. So, um, but uh, so I expect them to be a few games over 500 now, I would say, I guess is a good way to put it without looking at the schedule and who they were supposed to play and how tough it was early on versus later and all that. But I think that if nothing else, and, and going back to Girardi, I think we would have seen a team that was playing fundamentally smart baseball. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think we would be watching a team and we would be saying right now, you know, there are only a few games over 500, but you know what? I really like the way this team plays. <laughs> I like the way they go about their business. You know, they, they play hard. They play smart. There are not a lot of stupid mistakes every night. Not a lot of errors. Not a lot of this. I think we would feel good about the way they went about about their business, even if they weren't necessarily one of the best teams in baseball. Jack? Yeah. I, I, I Because if, if I remember correctly from lo- looking at the schedule, they had a lot of road games early against a tough – if I remember correctly, it was a tough, like – early April and then really eased up around this time. So I could see like the first couple of weeks being like meltdown city. But I also think that, and I said it a little bit ago, but I think Girardi would have given a lot of the fan base leeway that they did not give Gabe Kapler. So if they started slow, I feel like a lot of the talk would be like, they'll figure it out. Girardi's got it. And even though the, the importance of a manager can sometimes be overrated, the thing that I always believed about this Phillies team, just from, you know, watching from afar and, you know, not being, not being around them every day was that, you know, sure, the in-game moves might not affect the outcome of a game that much, but just the the general attitude in the clubhouse mm. and the general professionalism, like, I think you would have gotten, for example, like, I think Segura would have had a really, really good bounce-back year, and I think he would have been a, you would have remembered that Gene Segura is a career 300 hitter. I think that's what, the, the talk around Gene Segura not, be, not running out one ball that honestly doesn't matter. It mm-hmm. would be Oh crap! Gene Segura is a 320 hitter, and he's our third baseman right now. Like, um, and I, I, I really do wonder if the if the calls for Alec Bohm would have been as heavy as Ooh. they as they were. But I, you know, he probably would have raked down in AAA. But I don't know that. Like, I think I think Segura was going to make it tough for for Alec Bohm to come up and take his job. So, you know, I had pretty much by the time the season kind of got shut down, I was talking myself and just about everything. Um, you know, the, the Bryce Harper bounce, but not bounce back, but really breakout season. I mean, I legitimately think that you know we were on the same page as me. I said he was going to win the MVP right. to Jack. Like everyone, times, everyone so. on this podcast thought that Bryce Harper was going to finish. Well, Jack, no, Jack, tell James what my my numbers I had for him. Oh, you had uh, it was forty one one thirty five. 45, 135. Oh, 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 buddy. 45. No, yeah, it, I said to Jack, like, I don't, like, you can never know if, if like, who knows, Mookie Betts or, or Yelich or someone has this, like, insane season on a 110-win baseball. You never know what's going to happen. 
But I was like, Bryce Harper is going to be one of the two or three guys we're talking about at the end of the year as like the MVP guys. Like he might win it, he might not, but he's going to have an MVP season was my thought. Well, I think the biggest thing for me, I didn't know about MVP, but it felt like this was the season Bryce was going to remind all of baseball that, uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. You know, I I thought it was going to be one of those seasons from Bryce. And just in watching, you know, Nola in in, in spring training, Mm -hmm. The ball was down again, and the ball was down. It was sinking. It was diving, and he was focusing down in the zone. It was a lot of soft contact, a lot of ground balls, uh, and it looked back to being the Aaron Null that we saw the season before. And the other thing is that I think the main talk around Philadelphia, and I, I really believe this, the main talk around Philadelphia would have been Zach Wheeler was a steal. And I know mm-hmm. the contract was massive, but, dude, I watched that guy's final start in spring training, and I was like, oh, my God, like, we might have gotten Garrett Cole 2.0 here in Philadelphia. Like, the, the talk around Zach Wheeler would not have been, you know, we gave him, you know, 5-120. It would have been like, wow, they the Phillies found an undervalued ace in Zach Wheeler. Oof. Yeah, see, I, I agree on the Wheeler one. I agree on the Bryce one. Nola was the one that I, I feel like if there's a, a benefit at all to not having right now, it's it's the fact that he gets the rest after a couple two hundred you know inning years. Yeah, that's a good point. Huge September loads that he was you know having to carry, which didn't end up well for him. But it was, I don't think I'm never going to say that that Aaron Nola feels like the the way of the world was on his back ever ever. I I, I just don't feel that way. But in a way, maybe. Dude, you felt like they could only win when it was when it was Nola starts for portions of last season. So I, I I don't know. I I was looking at this as being a a huge a huge April more than anything. Whether who they were playing or not, I, I really felt like this was going to be a big April. May might have been the cool down, mm-hmm. and the reason why was April they were going to continue on what they were doing in in spring training. Like this team, I never ever take anything to account in spring training as far as record until you saw the way these guys were playing and it was different like these dudes oh were, this is they, this is making me sad no i know and, and but see <laughs> it shouldn't make you sad because here's the thing is like this can continue because it's in these guys and I mean, like Didi Gregorius had done nothing in spring training. He finally got his uh, <laughs> first. I mean, hit he was hitting balls. Game. I mean, he was hitting the you know the crap out of the ball. But I mean, it had nothing to show for it. Well, but that's then, how the game goes. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know. I I felt like if there was anything, it was going to be a huge April, and that's why I think I was pissed when everything went down. And and obviously for obvious reasons, it's not like anything that we're going. Yeah, I I don't understand why we're. No, I get it. But it's like, man, I saw I saw something great. Doesn't mean I, I, I meant like these guys are going to be in the playoffs or going like I don't know. That's that's the beauty of baseball. There's all this time. But question is, how excited are you if and when it does come back? Because I'm going to say when it comes back, yes. it's going to be a sprint. I know. I know that, that that's what has me the most excited almost is that. It's gonna be it's gonna be unlike anything we've ever really seen. It's gonna be like Jeff Jenkins in 2008. My and, boy, that's my brother. That's my big brother. Well, tell him that this baseball season is going to be like him in Game 5 in 2008. Because well, also thank him yes. for what he did in Game 5, first Okay, and so you're going to cut Say, this for you guys? from Philadelphia, Jeffrey, G-Off, my guy, thank you. Yeah. So you're going you're gonna to cut that right there in that spot. I'm going to send it to him because we love him. All right. Uh, 
Love, right. love Jeff. We all love Jeff Jenkins the, so much. I think I think it's the best fist pump in Philly in Philadelphia sports. Oh, it's so good. So Ooh. good. It's up there. Like, really? The Wheeler, the Chris Wheeler fist pump after they won was amazing. But the Jeff Jenkins fist pump, like that's how everyone was. He was he was summing up every Philadelphian's uh, uh you know feeling at that time. And Jeff Jenkins, the funniest part about Jeff Jenkins, I feel like he was like my friend's dad, and and that like that was basically my friend's dad going out there and hitting a double in in Game Five of the World Series. Yeah, don't don't put that in there because I won't send that to him. No, yeah, but you, you have to like un- before yeah. you have to understand like for me like Jeff he. He meant the world to me living in Arizona after I lost my brother. Like he was there like around that time. And, and like, he, he befriended me. And the next thing you know, we have this like really close relationship and that dude's amazing. So I was living through him. Like I was, this is the year that I had torn my Achilles. Uh, things weren't great. I'm in the fall league. I'm watching this and going absolutely berserk because awesome. this was like, the, the, the delay right and you're knowing that there's a chance that he could be leading up not you didn't know and that's the beauty about charlie and the fact that he just tapped him like that about like 10 minutes before and said like oh by the way you're hitting he didn't have he didn't give him the two days to think about it like it was like that 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 moment i still i could feel and that that yell and everything that he was giving off i was like i was screaming in my condo i was like <laughs> this was insane so yeah, all right it, it was unbelievable it's still unbelievable. They waited a, over uh, two days to freaking finish the game. It's just crazy. And then the the greatest heads up play, and and Jack would agree with it. Yes, uh, the chase play. Well, that Maybe was, not... that was our Kevin. That was our biggest takeaway from the last podcast we did. Was we did a deep dive of Game Five. God, I love and the our deep biggest dives. Ta- <laughs> uh, our biggest takeaway was like, why is that chase play not talked about as as one of the great, if not the greatest plays in Philly's history? Like, why is that not? revered and jack brought up a great comp like that jeter play against the a's in the playoffs where everyone's like oh Derek jeter blah, blah, blah. like that was the same play like it was the same type of he- i mean a different specific play but like the same type of idea of like heads up smart baseball where in the biggest of moments you know exactly what to do and where to go with the ball like that's what you learn in little league that's what you learn as a kid from your dad he's like Whenever, in any situation, my dad used to always say, no matter where you are in the field, no matter what's happening, you need to know exactly what to do, not just if the ball comes to you, but wherever it goes, in any situation. And that was like the the quintessential example of that type of play. I don't know why it's not revered as like the one of the great plays in Philly's history, because it was, it was everything. That play was everything. I, I told Jack that the reason why I don't think it is as far as Major League Baseball I'm just giving the the broad perspective is because Chase did that every day and maybe not that specific play, but everything was so heads up and thought forward, right? Like you was, and you could say some things about Jeter, but I don't look at his defense. I'm not a guy that sits there and says, Derek Jeter was a great defender. He wasn't, he really wasn't. wasn't. Yeah, he really wasn't. And that play was a better shortstop when he came over. They just, you know, Jeter played there obviously, but that play was a better defensive shortstop. He kind of should have been there already. You know, it was just, I think, a little bit like just how everything kind of evolved, and it was the glove flip, right? That was kind of like why it was talked about. The chase one, I mean, it was it was a, it was was an unbelievable play, but it was the fact that I feel like people didn't really take into account that, oh, this happens a lot. This guy does every heads-up baseball thing ever, mm-hmm. so it's not – you become immune to it. I almost equated sure. it to it's like a a, Omar Vizquel. 
and the things that he did defensively. Yes, th- he won all these gold gloves, but I don't think people understood how ahead of the game he was. You know, and, and, and things that he did defensively that you're looking at and going, oh, my God, you took it for granted. You took the, you took that play from Chase for granted because you almost expected something like that. Yeah, uh, I'm, I think it's a great point. And look, the Chase Utley, you're the man play. Another perfect example. You know, just he was always so attuned to what was happening in that moment and was such a smart, heady baseball player that you're right. He made the the kind of stuff that we shouldn't take for granted we took it for granted well that's the coolest part about him is that like uh, i was playing baseball during that time like i was still developing and whatnot and you know every single wait, 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 wait. you're you're still developing yeah did you ever <laughs> did you ever develop uh i would say i peaked my junior <laughs> junior year i would say junior year 2011 i still remember uh, uh 2011 was my senior year i still remember uh, Chase Utley's first game back, hit an absolute tank off of James McDonald, and I was like, oh, it's showtime. Actually, no, that was 2012. That was your team that went down to Astros, to the Astros, and completely blew it. Uh, that was earlier that year. But Chase, when I was when I was growing up, every single one of my coaches, to a T, would say, go home and watch Chase Utley. And him making that play in the World Series, you're right. It was like, that's just Chase being Chase. But like, if that was jeter who made that play it would go down of like oh Derek jeter classic always makes the heads up play but in classic philadelphia bias they don't show it in the same light i mean that play from from jeter was great and all but it was the fact that like you got to think about it he made these incredible plays or you know doctored him up a little bit and people were enamored by that and he had all these championships and people were enamored by that it was like they were trying to build a legend. They were trying to build, in my mind, a unanimous Hall of Famer. They were. I, I always felt like that. Doesn't take away, like, dude was a great player. I'm not, He was a Hall of Fame player, for sure. But Chase did those things every day. And I'm not. we're not talking offensively. We're talking defensively. But he didn't do it as smooth as Jeter when Jeter made those plays, too. So I feel like people are like, oh, this is incredible. It's like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just get, I, well, Jeter I get was, that sense. Jeter was also in people's lives for a long time. I mean, 96 comes up, and they're, they're in the World Series. Well, and he also won right away. Like, right. he won three World Series in four years, like, immediately. I mean, that, you know, I think that people just were like, oh, the, he's a winner. He's Mr. November. Like, he had that kind of aura about him just like, from listen, the jump. Almost. The Mr. November. Yeah, well, wow. and listen, listen, people, <laughs> they tried to make him into the Jordan of baseball, and he's just not, like, Jordan was on a different, different stressor and listen all i'm saying is that chase utley was a better player than Derek jeter like he just he just was if we're talking about seven year peaks he's just a better player i'm sorry Well, we also talked about i mean kevin franzen started the pod talking about barry bonds who is like eight trillion times a better baseball player than Derek jeter needles are not like barry bonds was a billion times better so yeah you're never gonna hear me uh say anything other than the fact that he was the best Best I've ever seen. As a 38-year-old, Kevin, you and I are about the same age. He is the best I've ever seen, and it's not close. Like it is not even close. So so definitive that Barry Bonds is the best I ever saw. Like I, I'll fight to the death about it. Well, here's the other thing that people forget is like he was getting one, like absolutely one pitch a game. I know that's what's so crazy. And and the one year he hits, uh, 
Uh, what was it? It wasn't the 73 years. 03. It was his monster year in 03. When he had a 609 OBP. Yeah. That the year? He like had how, 30. What he is had that? 30. What is that? 30 swing and misses. You can't, 609 OBP. Over 60% of the time you step to the plate, you get on base. Like that's asinine. Well, like how that's, about 40%? 40% of the time you're getting out. Like that, that, that's what I think is almost more. His, his 41 strikeouts. I think I, 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 I'm not going to say exactly how many were looking. I'm sure baseball reference has it, but it was so stupid. It was 30 swing and misses the entire season. <laughs> that's, that's Tony Gwynn, right? That's Tony Gwynn with the power of 45 homers. You're just going like, come on like that. that that's not right. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, Jack, on your point, yes, we did go into Houston. Yes, we did, you know, S on ourselves. Sure uh, did. We, we played in front of a high, I think, of 13,000 fans. They had a 40-man roster that was to the brink, like absolutely to the, the, to the fullest. Uh, here's the other part. They at, I think, three of the four games, they had a triple-barrel bullpen going for at least four innings. So they uh, they would you? go left, right, left, left, right, left. They would have the and it was it was like really. So they're they're doing me? doing everything in your power in their power to keep you guys out of the. Uh, the it playoffs. was weird, yeah. Well, because they had Tony D. Francesco, who was the uh, interim manager at the time. He had won all these championships with the Sa- Sacramento River Cats. He was he was trying to make his name in September for them. Uh, that didn't happen, but I I just I I agree. We did choke it. <laughs> we did choke it, but hey, look, yours truly went uh, five for fourteen in that series. So wow. I, I mean, I mean, I only made errors, but that was it. Right. Well, who cares about errors? It's all about yeah. what you do at the plate. Yeah. Okay. I, just, I was just I was watching the video yearbook last night because I love watching video yearbooks. They're my substitution for not having baseball. And I, uh, I had the 2012 one sent to me. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of forget this year because that was that was when I was my first year at college. So like I was kind of getting ready to play college baseball and then being terrible at playing college baseball. Um, and I remember the Houston series. Is just like, oh wow! Like this, this is the felt like the Phillies are about to make their run, um, and uh, unfortunately, did not happen. No, no. Thanks for reminding me. No, it's no, it's no problem. I'll remind right. you. Any, hey, anytime you need me to remind you, I'll bring it up. James, you know I played on a broken leg that like last month, month and no a half. No way, really? Yeah. Holy like, spiral wow. s- stress fracture in my leg. Yeah, that's insane. There's games wow. I had to take off. That's, I missed the whole very, series hey, against the like Rockies. Like we were talking about before, it's very Philadelphia of you, Kevin. Listen, Kevin Franzen, Philly guy. I didn't tell anyone. I mean, other than, you know, like Scott Sheridan, who was – he knew, like, because this is my opportunity to play. Like, people freaked out because they're like, oh, this guy – this he's not this. I'm like, I am maybe not the, uh, like, 340 hitter or whatever it was that year uh, every day. But when you play, you when you play every you day – pretty awesome. When you play every day, that that's what happens. And when you're a bench guy, you're not going to put up those numbers. It's just a, it's just a fact. And so, eh, whatever. Can I ask you one question? Did about bat, that? to be fair, you did bat 338 that year, though, in 2012. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that was just essing on balls everywhere. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Wait, let me ask let me ask one question. So I had like 50 doubles if you combine AAA in, in the big leagues that year. It's a monster year. So how how, how the hell did you bunt that one ball that was like at your face? Uh, that was no. Uh, oh, dude! But the best part about it was me like juking out Cairo. I know it was it was, it was an uh, insane play. It was a number one wanting to, to get it down, and you know if you put your mind to it, I always said that. Like <laughs> if you want to, no, no, no. Seriously, if you want to bunt, 
all these guys that don't bunt or can't bunt, they don't want to be in there and doing it. I wanted to be in there to bunt. I don't care if it – I mean, that, that was a run for us, right? And the ball was thrown in my face, and I'm like, oh, God. It, it was all reaction. It was no talent involved. It was just – I was protecting my face. Already been hit in my face once. Didn't <laughs> want that again. Just but happened to you, be in a perfect spot. Yeah, you learned your lesson. I did. I did. All right, so uh, end of the show with the High Hopes podcast, James Seltzer and Jack Fritz. Uh, got a question for you guys. Do you want to play a game? Always. I love games. Do you know about Waffle or not? No. I do not. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast. Appreciate it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, usually we have uh, players on, and I'll ask if they waffled a, a certain guy or not. Um, I don't want any cheating on this. Okay. But I'm going to get a – I'm going to name the guy, who they faced. You're going to say yes or no. You're going to say waffle or not. Okay, how about that? And then – at the end of it, I'll tell you which ones were correct, okay? Okay. So I'm going to start out with uh, Jim Tomei. Um, we're going to go with uh, Tim Wakefield and Roger Clemens. What do we got? I'm so confused. Yeah, so, say, what, are you, so did, what, what are we did doing here? Jim Tomei waffle Tim Wakefield? Did he waffle Roger Clemens? What does waffle mean? God, I thought you would actually be up in the lingo. That means owning someone. Did they own? Did oh, they waffle wow. a ball? Did they hit that sh- wow. you know what out of the ball? Right, I knew I'll it. go first. I had I'll an go idea. First. I'm going to say he waffled Roger Clemens, but Tim Wakefield waffled Jim Tomey. Okay, Jack? I'm going to say, well, I got to go the opposite. He he waffled Tim Wakefield. You don't have to You don't have to go the opposite. No, this, this is what I do. I go the opposite all the time. But I, I would say that, that Jim Tomey waffled Tim Wakefield and Roger Clemens waffled him. Okay. Uh, Chase Utley, Derek Lowe, and John Neese. Oh, so he definitely waffled Derek Lowe and mm-hmm. John Neese waffled him. Yeah, I agree with Jack on that one. Okay. John uh, Neese. Shout out to John Neese. Right? How about it? I mean, who did he win the bet off of to get his nose fixed? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Someone picked up his uh, picked up the table. Did they really? Yes. Because he had a nose, man. That yeah, was a nose. Area. Absolutely. Um, okay. Mike Schmidt. We have Big Daddy Rick Russell and Tom Seaver. And who was the other one? And Tom Seaver. Oh man. Hmm. I'm gonna say just because of the just just to to go against the guy. I'm gonna say waffled Seaver. So she goes more later Seaver that Schmidt would have gotten, and he got waffled by Rick Russell. I'm gonna say the same as James. He waffled Tom Seaver, and Rick Russell waffled him. Okay, Kevin Franzen mm. <laughs> got waffled by everybody. Is that Cole that? Hamels and John Good. Danks? Oh, dude, John Danks ate your lunch. White Sox, John Danks. I remember John yeah. Danks. No, nah, Rangers first, and then. Yeah. I will say that. I will say that you waffled Cole Hamels, and John Danks waffled you. I agree with Jack. So the winner of the day would be James Seltzer. Nice. And the Damn reason why Jim Tomei against Tim Wakefield was a 185 hitter with a 691 OPS. Wow. Roger Clemens, 355 with a 1293 OPS, eight homers. That's Waffles. Ah, wow. that, that's awesome. Uh, Chase, Chase, I don't know. you guys know the numbers off of Derek Lowe? 
No, I just remember the. I, yeah, I remember him owning Derek Lowe. I, John, I just remember the one home run in 2000. I vaguely remember with eight. Nice with the Mets that for some reason Utley wasn't great against. Well, nice. I, so, I always I always put Nice and Lannon in like the same thing. I always hated John Lannon. So well, there's a reason for that too. He broke Utley's hand. Yeah, exactly. And he who would have won the MVP that year? Of course he would have won. He was yeah. unbelievable. Nice was better than like okay. Peak Nice was better than Peak Lannon. Though. He was. I Ooh. agree. Derek Lowe. 20 for 44, a 455, wow. 1353 OPS, four wow. bombs. John Neese, 094, 288, wow. and that was in 32 at bats. So okay. it's not like a, a few. Uh, Mike Schmidt, uh, you both had right. Um, no, wait. you Yeah, no, you had both wrong. You nice. had both wrong. Oh, so uh, he was good against Seaver, Schmidt. Dude, no, he no, was. You guys again. said. You guys said uh, he waffled Seaver. He didn't. He was 16 for 85. Right, the other way. That's what I meant. He was bad against Rick Seaver. Rushell, 52 for 129. Whoa. That's good for a, uh, a 403 average. 1142 is seven, seven tanks. What do you think Rick Russell thought every time Mike Schmidt would come to the plate? I wonder think, what wow, he Wow, I'm a fat man thing. pitching in Major League Baseball. <laughs> well, Rick Russell, he was, a, he was a Philly. Yeah, I loved Rick Rush. When I was, is, he was a giant. He was, he was a, a giant out there too. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was a legend. Of Pirate, Big Daddy. Yeah. yeah, this is two old guys talking. I don't even this know is, who he this is. This is my era. I'm with you, Kevin. <laughs> uh, and then for myself, Jack you guys are both know who Rick right. Russell is. Yeah, I don't know who Rick Russell is. Uh, Cole uh, Hamels, I owned. Russell, Russell. You did own Cole Hamels. I knew that. I had a 1308 OPS. I was six for 13, two doubles, a homer. You know, shot him, change up. He. Fanned his glove, three-two pitch, got it. <laughs> so uh, John John Danks was your kryptonite, huh? Bro, him and him and Craig Kimbrell. Well, Kimbrell, Kimbrell, Kimbrell there was me- a reason. John Danks, how about this? In like the minor leagues, I destroyed him, <laughs> destroyed him. I get to the big leagues every time I face him, I'm like, what the hell is this? I mean, I was zero for ten, three punchies. I was like, come on. Like, I don't think I hit a ball hard off of him. No, I just I just can't believe you just compared John Danks to Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> well, no, they, they had – I was 0 for 10 against both, I think. Well, at least one makes sense. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the last time I – so, look, before I let you guys go, last time I faced Craig Kimbrell uh, was in 14 with Washington. Uh, I faced him at the end of a game. I line out the center. I absolutely pee on a ball. Like I absolutely like nutted this thing, and it was right at the center fielder. No movement, nothing. I was like, I went down the line with my hand up, and and a fist up, and and their whole dugout was rolling because I like they they knew how much he owned me. I didn't think I hit a ball outside of the uh, the on deck, like not not even the on deck circle, uh, <laughs> the front circle, like right right in front of home plate, like the front cutout. I did not hit a ball in front of it either because I sucked. I fouled up, uh, balls off. I struck out. That was the first ball I think I put in play that was past the pitcher's mouth. Now, Kimbrell, did the fastball rise? like that? I swear to God it did. I swear to you guys, every time you're in there, you're thinking a ball is going in the dirt, a fastball like going in the dirt, and then it would hover. And it would, like, it would hit this thing, and it would just go, and you're going, what? That's no that's every time I watched him, I was like, I know fastballs can't rise, but that dude's fastball is definitely rising. You know who else is rising? My podcast after this because I had you guys, <laughs> and I'm gonna have you guys tweeting this out because you guys are way better at this stuff than I am, and I'm not a self promoter, but my, you know, I gotta I gotta at least rank in the ah uh, the 800s, right? I, I got to get to we'll, one. I we'll, got to get to one. We'll get you into at least the 700s. I appreciate that. And if you can get the High Hopes <laughs> podcast, anywhere you get your podcast, 
what would you say is uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Spotify. You can go to WIP, I'm sure, and, and find it there. The Radio.com app. The Radio.com app. Uh, James, Jack, you guys are the best for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure, Kevin. Seriously, thanks for having us, man. This is great. Won't be the last time, my friend. It better not be. <laughs> and that was just an absolute blast with Jack Fritz and Jabe Seltzer from the High Hopes podcast. I appreciate them coming on, and hopefully we'll be on again with them at some point. But next week, we'll have someone new. Why don't you tweet me, at Kevin Franzen. Who do you want to hear from as far as other podcasts? This Pine Tar for Breakfast is brought to you by McDonald's. Open and ready to serve your favorites. Prefer no contact? Get them delivered today with McDelivery at participating McDonald's. That is right again next week. More players, more interviews, same stuff. That's right. I'm here to bring it for you. And today, it was Jack Frizz, James Seltzer, and the High Hopes Podcast. Appreciate them. Appreciate you. Peace. Kevin Frizz. Where's out of here?